Welcome back to Digital Health 101. You may have heard another of our podcasts where we discussed data interoperability with Nikos Kivaski from Redox. Their solution to interoperability between the electronic health record and other apps is to connect these apps to each other through APIs. Now, today we talked to Martin Aboitits, who's taking an entirely different approach to interoperability. He's making data accessible through abstraction, which is a way of making the data accessible rather than linked. This episode underlines the fact that in digital health, as in so many things, there's often more than one good solution to any one problem. Join us as we talk to Martin about his ideas. Hello, Martin. Thank you very much for joining me on Digital Health 101. Hello. It's great to see you again after all these years. Well, only a year since we saw you in uh, saw uh, JP Morgan, no? <laughs> yes, that's San Francisco. That's right. <laughs> San Francisco. Yeah, and I heard then and uh, continue to track some of the great work you're doing in the area of uh, interoperability. But before we get to your solution for that problem, which is really interesting, Tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, so I'm I'm a bit of citizen of the world. I was born in Uruguay, uh, Uruguay, South America, raised in Spain, educated in the U.S., lived most of my life in Argentina, working in various fields in technology. I'm an engineer by training, and so always always been working in various technology applications. And then a few years ago, I was uh, sitting with my CTO of my previous company, and we're looking. Well, we gotta, we need to build a product. What product could we build? And we we fell into healthcare. It just, well, you know, what are the problems facing healthcare with the things that we know? And well, data. What do we know of health data? And neither of us knew anything, but we could talk to people that did. And then. You know, the world, this is uh, 2013, it just became evident that that was a problem, the problem to address with the things that we knew. And uh, I was sitting in Argentina, but the problem was in the U.S. The first place to start to address this problem is the U.S. Why? Because the U.S. had already developed, was already well along the way of digitizing all of healthcare, the patient, and because the, the problem was glaring. And so long story short, I sold my company in Argentina. I founded a company in the U.S. I met my partners here that thankfully knew something about a subject that I didn't know anything about, which is healthcare. <laughs> my partners did, and they were deep into it. And we built HealthJump and uh, started HealthJump in 2014. And HealthJump's goal is to, is to address this issue of interoperability. So let's quickly discuss what that means. Uh, you gave me a very a clear description of the problem of interoperability a few seconds ago. So why don't you do that again, and then we'll talk a little bit about how your company has taken a slightly different approach to solving that problem. Sure. So data, you go to the doctor, and the doctor records your data. And labs come in, and they fall into the same record and such, and data gets enriched in your doctor's system. Now, that data is sitting on a system that was developed by somebody, and there is hundreds of different developers of doctor systems, and each one had a different idea of how to store the data and what data to store. So now when you need to look at data coming from multiple sources, how do you look at it? Well, you have to connect to each doctor system and be able to collect the data and use it. And so that's the problem that we're addressing is how different doctor systems can interoperate, interoperate based on the data layer. We're not interoperating the application themselves. Each doctor is working on their own with their own system, 
but we are in we're making those systems compatible at the data layer. So rather than actually connecting the software, you're going to looking at making the data more accessible. So you came up with a novel solution. Why don't you describe that? Sure. We connect the data at the database level. Every system stores the data in a database. And so we understand how many of these systems, there's some 40, 50 different systems that we understand at this point, and every system we've been able to connect to by connecting directly to the database rather than at the application at the application level and taking that data and aggregate it and store it in a different data model, a single data model that applies to all the systems that we view. Now, some systems that are, that are web-based where the data is stored by the system itself outside of, well, then those systems we connect based on their APIs that have ways to engage with the data that's in the system. We're still pulling it. We're still aggregating in our data model and then making that data model available to the application that requires it in various ways, which can be through our own APIs or it can be through a, a standard file that gets delivered every at a scheduled interval every day typically, but it could be every hour or week or whatever. So a standard file in a certain format that the client uh, requires. Or we can expose our platform directly to the our data platform. We can expose it directly to the queries of your system. To summarize that a little bit, the idea here is rather than letting the software from one doctor record system access the software in another doctor record system directly. You're saying, you know, let's just, that gets complicated. Why don't we extract the data from doctor system one, put it in a, what's in a different bucket that we control, the data is completely here, and then we make it accessible to the other software because we can translate that data, make it accessible to both of them, and then they can both access it as needed. And we can do this in many different ways. We can create specific data packets that we provide to the software. We can have the software access our data, or we can simply update their data on a cyclical timeframe. That's a very different approach. Tell me, what does that approach lend itself to? If I have a problem with interoperability, what are the types of problems that you think this solution lends itself best to? Well, whenever you need to look at a full data set, you, whenever you need to do a full data set, and let's say I want to know all the childbirths and whether they are cesarean or, or live births, right? And of all the doctors in a practice or all the doctors in a system, well, that's a single query if the data is aggregated, but if you need to pull any individual patient at a time and each one pull each patient and then aggregate that, that answer, it's a, it's a query for each patient. Whenever you're looking at data across the whole system, that's our sweet spot. So Now, if you have a patient in front of you and you need to look at one single patient's case and the data seems for that patient is sitting in another system and you need to grab that, that's a different problem. That problem works. You can address that problem as well for patients that are in our system. But for patients that are outside our system, you couldn't. It, it's a different problem. Our sweet spot is for large-scale data requirements and not for individual patient-level requirements. Perfect. That's a, yeah, exactly. So if I'm in a doctor's yeah. office, I need them to access my record. Maybe they don't need to do this large data exchange. And maybe a middleware solution is better. But if I'm running a health system and I need to do a query about the state of some aspect of my entire patient group, then you need to have access to that data be much, yeah. much easier. And I think also another area you guys 
dual if you're migrating from one system to another, right? Absolutely. Yeah, migrating or storing the data offsite, that sort of thing. Yes, we are very good at that. We have specific customers that we've addressed to, and uh, we do that very well. But these are one-time jobs, migrating data. And what we're really good at is keeping data live forever for the history of, of our relationship with the customer, which migration is a one-time, tends to be a one-time shot. And yes, we can do that. But it's not what gets us going. What gets us really gets right. us excited is whenever the problem is ongoing. So that letter, can imagine that if you have, I don't know, a group practice, maybe they're working with four or five different electronic health records, and you're trying to collect data from all of them, it would be nearly impossible to query each session. So what you do is you collect all the data, put it in one place, it can be queried. So if you're managing a large groups with multiple electronic health records, this is an excellent way to address that problem of interoperability from the organizational level. Yeah, we even do something. Uh, so one of our customers is in the uh, space of reputation management and figuring Ooh, nice. out the service, the quality of service of individuals. This is actually a patient-level problem. You go to a doctor, as soon as you leave, you get a survey. You answer the survey, but every patient gets a survey. So actually, there is a larger big data problem that every patient answers the survey and all that data goes to the survey company. But here's a few things that happen. You don't think about it. Your doctor sends you a survey and you answer it, right? But what happened? The doctor didn't prepare the survey, right? A different company did. Why? Because they are good at that. Now, your name... And your email address, this is protected health information from the doctor to the patient survey company. So now there has to be a whole set of HIPAA protections around this because now there has to be confidentiality around your name. And we can do that because we can connect to a doctor's schedule and we can know when you went in and when you exited. And if we didn't do that, we couldn't automate this. We don't do it. Our customer does. But we are making that data flow. It's still patient level, but it's the same data for every patient that goes in. And then with the other thing that we're doing is maintaining all the HIPAA constraints and the protections around the data so that we make sure that that remains confidential, private, and secure, right? Excellent. So now let's just take the next step. We're looking a few years down the road, maybe five, 10 years down the road. What technologies do you see coming to bear on this way of being interoperable that will make the work easier, more facile, and perhaps even less expensive? Well, we might, might, in some period of time, not need to connect directly to the database as we do today, because there will be a standard fire call that we will be able to make. And so we can make a call to and pull the data with using fire. And there's also some protocols around fire that are allowed to make full data, you know, not just the patient level call, but let's say, give me all your allergies to a doctor's office, right? Before you get too yeah. far down the line, let's talk about what fire means and what a data call is. Here we're getting into the weeds a little bit, which my CTO would answer much better than I could. <laughs> so fire is a, a fast, uh, fast interoperability uh, resource. And uh, what it is, is a standard by which you can, a, a system can expose an API, an, an application program interface, that you can call based on a standard call. And you can legitimize your call by security protocol that allows uh, the system to know that whoever is requesting that data 
has the rights to do so. So there has to be a whole security mechanism for that to happen. Otherwise, anybody could just make a fire call and pull Martina Voitis's uh, data set from my doctor, right? So these calls are designed in a certain way so that every system needs to be able to answer that question, that call in a standard way so that then the answer is understood by the recipient system. So all these are, are we have to agree. So, so before fire, you had um, HL7. Yeah. So HL7, fire is an evolution of HL7 in a sense. It's larger, the delivery is larger. HL7 is more specific and it, HL7 is messages that run on a bus and you listen to the messages and you can understand the data that's running in this message. You have to have permissions to listen to that bus and then be able to. And so all the messages that are coming through, you can pull information out of the message. That's HL7. In FIRE, it's different because you call the system and you pull the specific data out that's not necessarily in the HL7 bus. The load of data that can come back, it can be much larger and doesn't necessarily have to be live data that's in HL7, but it can be historical data that's in, that's in the doctor system from years back. So FIRE will potentially, once we agree on a whole host of things, which we agree on what the FIRE calls will look like, we agree on what the security protocols are going to be in order to, and we agree on, the, on even to the level of having standard business associate agreements to say in a commercial agreements even on as to how they, why I need to answer this call and who can call and why and for what purpose and what data can be delivered. And these are more larger agreements in, that have to work across the whole system. And so all that is going to happen. It's in the works, but it's difficult to do because all these systems have to agree and have different technologies, have different ideas. And then you derive a solution and then it has to be maintained and updated and it has to be implemented by every system. That's going to take a while. And uh, we know that was coming, but uh, until that is there, we designed a workaround. Right. I actually want to take a second because I think a lot of people may have gotten confused at this point, but I think it was really worth going into the weeds to understand why it's so complicated. Because for most people, it's like, look, just there's my data, share it. The banks do it all the time. My money is in the bank and I transfer it to a credit card. Why is this so difficult in healthcare? And you pointed out that there's a great deal that goes into these data exchanges that require agreements between a lot of different parties with different and sometimes competing interests. You talked about HL7 as a constant data stream from which you can read, but it gets a little bit fussy because you got to listen to the whole stream and identify specifically what you want. Whereas in Fire, it's a different way to approach the data sharing problem. It's like you actually go, to where the data is and ask the software to give you just the data points you want. But as you point out, that sounds easy, but actually it's not so easy because the way that data is transmitted has to be agreed to so it's understandable at both ends of the recipient and the sender. And also you described how you have to ask the question, okay, do I want to give this data? Why should I give this data? Whom am I giving this data to? Who has the right to ask for this data? And that, again, those require some agreements. And you talked about business associate agreements. It gets to be quite complicated, which is why this interoperability question is still with us and hasn't been solved yet. But as you point out, there is an interest in doing so because consumers would like to have that to happen. There's actually a benefit to everybody for interoperability in healthcare. So 
this idea, you called it a workaround, a hack, whichever. I said, look, this data is in all these great places. It's good data. We just need to put it in one place where we can access it. We're going to bring all this data into one place. We're going to translate it into a common language. And from there, we can share it out again and make it accessible. And there are certain types of queries, large data set queries that really do best like this. Because if you had to go do a large data query and go to every single electronic health record to get that answer for every patient, it'd take you forever. And that's sort of, yeah. if, if I didn't oversimplify how you guys are solving the, the interoperability problem. Absolutely. We worked on the, as an example, is that we stood up the COVID-19 research database. Have you heard of them? It's, it's uh, us. Say Thank you. It was uh, started by Datavant, and they joined a number of data sources and they joined an architecture and they provided, also collected people to authorize and to a governance structure around all the data. And in two months, we had a database that has been able to answer questions like, is COVID hospitalization in areas where the schools have opened worse than in areas where the schools have not? The answer is no, nice. right? <laughs> the answer is an no. important question. Yeah. It's extremely timely and important question, but how do you do that? You'd need to have the hospitalizations across the whole country and tie that to school data across the whole country. And we stood that database up in a, in a matter of a couple of months. And why? Because you know, we have the structure to do so. Us and and other, you know, other companies with that did different parts of this database. And we have, you know, so all sorts of scientific questions drug questions, policy questions are being answered today, some 200 different studies. Uh, so COVID-19 Research Database has uh, the list of studies that have been you know, from many uh, universities. This could be done because we have data available and the systems are available to control it and manage it. Yeah, that sounds that's such a good example to be able mm. to go into the community, identify these small data sets, aggregate them to a large enough data set that you can actually come to some conclusions and then use that information to go out and make policy for the whole country that you could not have done because you didn't have the insight into all this data that was otherwise inaccessible or certainly exactly. not large enough to make decision points. That's a great way to actually sort of end. Although there's one more question I want to ask you. If somebody out there feels like they have an interoperability problem, they can't access information from multiple systems. And I'm not talking about not so much individuals because we talked about this is not the best application. But if they're looking to solve this problem of having to access data sets that are not currently merged, what recommendations would you have for them? Things they have to think about before engaging a company like yours or your company? Because there's always a question, you know, you've done this a few times, you know, you know what needs to happen to make this work. Like in any problem, first, you have to have an objective, right? What is it that you really want to do? And describe that well. You have to start there. What is it that I, and not limit yourself by you think what is possible and what is not. You start by thinking, what would I like to do? What needs to be done? And it's not only, as you described, in multiple systems, but sometimes you have a single system, but you have an application, and that application does not understand this single system. Because you have this great application that solves this problem, and you know it, but you have this doctor system that doesn't talk to the application. You still need a data layer to share this, this single doctor system with a single application, because that, mm -hmm. that application might not be part of the ecosystem that connects to that. Uh, so, so just to clarify that part, but basically, first have to start 
understand your problem well. What do you want to achieve? I think anything that you want to achieve today with data is achievable with the right structure. There's a lot of talk that, oh, the interoperability is, I can't, I can't access the data. I can't, you know, my EHR won't, uh, is blocking the data and such. I mean, that might have been true some years back. It's uh, much less true today. I think anything that you want to do with the data, there's a whole bunch of different solutions. You might need to join two or three solutions to solve the problem that you have. So look at what you need to do, find the best solution that solves that problem, and then come talk to us to do the rest. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Martin. I've had a really, I really enjoyed hearing your thought process about data sharing and about mm -hmm. some of the solutions and how to aggregate this information. Your last point about how sometimes it's not just about aggregating data in different silos, but simply making data accessible to new types of software that doesn't speak the same language. So you, you, can, you can create a data layer that translates information so exactly. it can be used. Uh, I can see that being useful in legacy software platforms and new technology that doesn't really speak the same language because it's old and doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> it's like it's from Latin to English and on again. So I can totally see that. And then, uh, of course, uh, we didn't really touch upon it, but there's many organizations that have silos within them. And even the same organization needs to collect that data and doesn't have Absolutely. an easy way to do so. Yeah. Absolutely. Then, we uh, run across that all else? the time. We run across that yeah. all the time that you have these, they have different implementations of a single system. It, different implementations of single, of the, even if it's the same system, they still can't talk to each other. Right. Okay. Thanks, man. That was really fun. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. It's just a pleasure to be here. It's definitely great to see you again. Great to be seen, as they say, especially yeah. these days. Gosh, if people want to follow you, well, you'll send me a link where we can track your sayings and your thoughts. I'm not really great. Our, our company is quite good in social media. Me, myself, I publish an article on LinkedIn every once in a while. Mostly mm. it's there. I don't, I'm not on Twitter much. Every now and then I, but it's mostly I'm on LinkedIn, but our company. And again, the name of your company is? HealthJump. HealthJump.com, right? HealthJump. Yeah. HealthJump.com. Yes. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for taking some time to, to share your thoughts with us and look forward to seeing you again uh, at any of the DocSF events that you've met me at or around the internet or whatever we see me Yeah, again. yeah. It should be fun. Yeah. All right. Pleasure. Cheers. Thank you, Stefan. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed our podcast, exploring the building blocks of digital health. If you liked what you heard, be sure to hit the subscribe button to hear the latest episodes as soon as they're published. We hope to see you back for the next episode of Digital Health 101 on Digital Health Today. What are you excited yeah. about these days? What's ex what do you see exciting? Uh, what's exciting for us is this pharma side of, of HealthJump. We've signed an agreement with that. It's a consulting services company to pharma. And they identify data used by pharma for biotech and such. That's, I think, the next big step for us. And we're growing. We are now, you know, out to uh, 60 million patients. And we doubled uh, last year. So, Congratulations. Uh, you know, COVID has been, has opened up some opportunities, you know. And, you know, we can't be happy about that. But COVID has exposed problems that we could address. Fascinating. Yeah. Tell me yeah. about. Have you been tracking the work that's happening in synthetic data? Uh, no, no, I have not. 
Oh, you should yeah. look into it. That's pretty phenomenal. Uh-huh. Where they can yeah, actually I, create. Yeah, we've been asked a little bit, but we have not touched that at all. That's again a little bit. Our customers will do that, right? But certainly, we can be be a platform for that. Yeah, you can support the aggregation of synthetic data sets yeah. as opposed to real data sets, which gets up by the entire HIPAA piece and it's still statistically equivalent but doesn't have any of the HIPAA requirements tied to it. Uh-huh. And so the data can be synthesized or match made in situ or locally behind the firewall. And then what's sent outside is the synthetic piece. And if it's done, there are many ways to, to do that synthetic piece, but it's it's pretty impressive, especially if it's placed in a data set and then it's mixed with other data. You're not going to be able to yeah. go back and figure out who that patient was. And at the same time, it's statistically equivalent. So that means you can still run the same analysis over it with Without actually yeah. using actual data sets, actual yeah. patient length data sets. It's kind of interesting. Anyway, mm-hmm. that's the future. We've got so many things coming around our way that's going to make yeah. it ever more interesting. Well, congrats. Sounds yeah. like you hit a home run with this clever idea you had in Argentina and brought to the United States. It's like, yeah, help <laughs> oh, us I figure didn't, out I didn't have the idea. I just understood the problem. I Fair, just got, got the wind of the problem. You know, I started asking the right questions, but that's how right. to do it? I take no credit for how we, <laughs> you know, that's that's other people. <laughs> it's always the team effort, right? Absolutely. 